Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome to Grant Writing Simplified, episode 33. I've gotten a lot of questions lately from grant writers and from nonprofit leaders who are really trying to figure out the whole fundraising game, especially in this landscape with everything going on with the pandemic, people are concerned. But if you remember back to episode 25, where I interviewed Jenny Hargrove from the nonprofit Jenny Show, she shared that really donations were actually consistent or higher than usual in 2020, despite the pandemic, that giving was still very steady. So that's encouraging news. But still, I know that's a big concern, and a lot of newer nonprofits are pretty overwhelmed with where do we even start? How do we start fundraising? And a lot of people come to me saying, we need grants. We want to start a nonprofit. Let's get grants. Hold on. That's not what grants are for. They are not to get you off the ground. You need to back up and do the foundational groundwork first before you're ready to apply for grants. That's why the next few weeks in April... I want to cover some different fundraising topics, and I'm excited to have a couple of guests coming on the show this month to share some of their expertise with you about this because there's some really good information here. Today's guest is Jason Adkins, and we are talking about how to find your first-time donors as a nonprofit. So whether you're a nonprofit or you're a grant writer, chances are you're going to encounter this at some point. You're going to need to help with this aspect of nonprofit fundraising. When you're new, getting support is so important. Yet, as Jason says, so many fundraising webinars and articles are about donor retention or fundraising and grant writing, but how do you find donors in the first place? Today, Jason is on the show to share advice on finding first-time donors on a limited budget, even less than 100 bucks. Since 2008, Jason Adkins has raised over $120 million in grants and donations. He has worked with organizations in the arts, education, and human services. He earned the Grant Professional Certified Credential in 2017, and he created the website Funding Finders to compile some great resources for other nonprofit professionals. We talk about some great things, and I started to wonder as I was listening back to this if he's secretly some kind of FBI agent. (laughs) You'll see what I mean. He has so many great tips, and he's got a handout to walk you through this step-by-step on finding your first donors as a nonprofit. I'll link to that in the show notes. Listen in. Be ready to take notes. You'll definitely want a pen and paper for this one. Enjoy. Jason, welcome to the show. It's great to have you and finally get to connect. Tell us a random fact about yourself. 
I'm a big time word nerd. Now this probably goes back to being an English major in college, but sometime after college, I started keeping a list of new words that I learned. And it's about seven single space pages now. I don't have a lot of time for hobbies. I have three young children. So it's probably the closest thing I have to hobby. Um, I collect words. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. That's one collection I don't think I've heard of before, but as a fellow <laughs> writing nerd, I love it. <laughs> That's great. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into nonprofit work. I got into grant writing right out of college. I had a friend in my alma mater that was in administration. Uh, this was at the University of Tennessee at Martin. And he was looking for a grant writer and I had won some writing awards on campus. And he and I had this idea that that would translate to grant writing. But of course, that first year uh, we learned is so much more than writing. Um, I had to learn, you know, project management skills. I had to learn how to budget. I was pretty clueless on that. And I had to learn how to collaborate with other professionals. So that first year I learned a ton. I moved away for graduate school and it really wasn't long before I started applying for grant writing positions. And I really just end up loving the work and I've stuck with it. That's great. And it's funny, grant writer, I've often thought really is a misnomer because we do wear so many hats and it involves so much more than writing. And that's, I mean, that's a huge important piece of it, but there are a lot more pieces that people don't realize until you get into it. Absolutely. It's trial by fire. That's for sure. (laughs) For sure. (laughs) Right. It's kind of like parenting. You really don't know what it's truly like until you just do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Tell about your work now and how you are working with nonprofits day to day. So I work for a major regional nonprofit in Kentucky. It's called the Ohio Valley Educational Cooperative. And it's named after an area in north central Kentucky, the Ohio River Valley, and our fundraising. And we have several federal and state programs. Our, our annual budget's about $20 million, And it's really critical work. Uh, we run educational programs in a 12-county region. And so we work with 15 school districts, about 250 schools, and that's 150,000 students. So uh, a lot of different programs from early childhood programming Uh, even to some innovative things for high school students and lots of training for teachers and principals. But as I've been doing that work, I've uh, begun to mentor and teach a lot of other nonprofit pros in the area. So for the the last five years, I've started training people who are interested in grant writing and fundraising. I started with teachers. I taught them how to write grants, and they're really awesome at it. It's really cool to see what teachers do with grants. But then I started working with some small and startup nonprofits In the last few years, I've been uh, teaching at the Center for Nonprofit Excellence in Louisville, some courses on grant writing and also fundraising and sustainability. That's great. You know, I do hear teachers asking about that for their classroom because there are some things they could write, some of the smaller grants just to get things that would help with some of their projects. And I also hear a lot of people saying, I wish I had a mentor or I wish I knew who to ask for some of these questions. And I know the feeling. I had a great mentor for a couple of years when I started. And then after a while, when I moved away, then I kind of lost that. And it really is a huge piece. So I'm glad that you're doing that. That's, I think, important to help other grant writers and to support them in that way. You know, being a former teacher myself, it was a very natural transition into grant writing. I didn't realize it at the time, but a lot of my training really had prepared me for a lot of the aspects of grant writing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's really fulfilling to help teachers and nonprofit pros too, because 
Uh, it's just really cool when they take something they've learned from you and then they go out and they get a grant or they find a donor and you know, you're helping someone that's helping others. So um, that was a, that's been one of the most fulfilling parts of my career experiences that I've had. Um, and it's part of the reason why I went on to start a website um, funding finders is so I could kind of replicate that feeling and reach more nonprofits and help more people. Yes. And I think that's great because even if the information's out there, sometimes it's helpful to hear it in a different way from the way someone else presents it. So the more we have, the more people can learn or come across something that really resonates and is helpful for them in their specific situation. So I think it's great that you've done that. I want to go back to, you mentioned in your work, that sounds like a ton of projects and people and different entities to juggle. Could you take us a little behind the scenes of how you keep track of all that and how do you keep it running, keep it straight? That's a lot of balls up in the air at once, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah, it is um, it is definitely a challenge. It's something I'm learning more and more about. Um, we've been able to hire some staff that help with that. So I have a full-time grant writer that works for me. We got so lucky finding the right person because we do so many federal grants and there aren't a lot of people with federal grant writing experience. So just kind of the perfect candidate walked in uh, to our situation. So we work really closely together and we're hiring a a fundraising position right now too, that's going to help with some things we've been testing and trying out. So uh, it's it's a lot about finding the right people and finding a good team and working together. Uh, There's definitely a ton of triage that goes on because, you know, there's so many grant opportunities that come our way. We find ourselves saying no to a lot of things that, you know, might be a good fit, but we've got to focus on the things that we do well. And uh, we only have so much capacity. And, you know, accountability has really increased for a lot of federal grants. So there's so much interaction with project staff on uh, their reporting timelines and making sure, you know, we're meeting certain objectives. So uh, a lot of teamwork. That's really been key for me to learn um, how to work with others. I did um, I did Strengths Finder to kind of learn more about myself, and that's helped me to learn about others too and what some of their strengths are. And I studied Strengths Based Leadership, the companion book that went with that, and that's really just helped me become uh, you know a more indispensable employee, but a better teammate too. Mm-hmm. I think really understanding yourself and others helps you relate better and communicate better. And it really does help to have a team like that where you can support each other, bounce ideas, encourage, keep each other accountable. It really does help. And sometimes just to have another pair of eyes on your work to help you, does this make sense? Am I saying this right? Because in your head, it totally makes sense. But when you get it out on paper, sometimes it's a mess. Yeah, absolutely. We've had some great success this last year. And the, it's been so fun to be able to say, well, this is a lot because of our new grant writer and to be able to give her credit for the good work that she's doing. Uh, because people get in their mind, you know, that, that maybe I did it all. And I'm like, no, she's really awesome. So I really love being able to share uh, in the joy. That's something in my small group coaching program that we were talking about just the other day. A lot of times it's not choosing between good and bad. It's choosing between several good things and we can't do them all. And we have to choose what's the best thing for this point in time in this particular situation or project. And we have to let some good things go because we're only capable of so much. And that's hard, but we need to do a few things very well especially in grant writing, where it does take so much time and focus and effort. 
that that's really a tough decision to have to learn how to make, but it's important. Yeah, absolutely. We have to think a lot about kind of our risk tolerance. Like there's some grants that come to us that, you know, are really great, you know, large grants, but they're going to make maybe five or six, you know, nationwide. And so we had to think about like, is it worth the three months that we're going to invest into this when there's such, mm-hmm. you know, so the probability is so low of actually getting it. So yes. we're, we're constantly having that conversation internally. Like, is it better to focus on something that is a home run or, you know, to hit a couple singles and mm-hmm. make some of our current projects better? Yeah. And that's a tough call. There's not always a right answer or a clear cut. You just have to decide and work with your team to figure out which direction is best in that point in time. Now you had some great advice for looking for first time donors or as newer nonprofits, when you're really just trying to get your momentum going, I know you had some amazing tips in that regard. So let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I had to learn this skill on my own. So I started my career exclusively in grant writing, Uh, but more and more staff were coming to me with needs they had for their programs, or actually some of my friends came to me for, you know, needs they had for nonprofits they were in, and they kept asking for grants for stuff or for things. And, you know, and your audience will know that grants are not blank checks. You know, we just can't go out and find and fund what the things that we need all the time. So, um, I had to broaden my skill set. Uh, I had to think about grant writing as just one tool uh, for development, and I needed some new tools. That's a good point. Yeah, it, it was it was really frustrating to try to learn this skill, though, because when I looked for webinars or articles online, it was always about donor retention, and I had zero donors. Like, where how do how do you retain zero? You know, I need to actually <laughs> right. find some new people to support yeah. me. <laughs> so. It's easy to maintain nothing. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So also like, you know, we didn't have some of the tools that big major development programs have. We didn't have some of the subscription services. And I I don't think I I couldn't, you know, convince my boss to spend thousands of dollars on something um, that we had never really done before. So I had to kind of experiment on my own. And actually, I spent about a hundred of my own dollars on some things just to try out. Um, And they worked. And since then, I've been sharing these tips with new nonprofits, and they've been using them and giving me good feedback on it. Okay. Well, I'm sure the listeners are ready with their pen and paper saying, okay, what are they? <laughs> well, it's not it's not rocket science. <laughs> right. But sometimes when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to know how to move forward. And you just need those simple steps broken down because there are so many possible options. There is so much advice out there. I know I've talked to newer nonprofits and it's overwhelming trying to sift through it all when they don't speak the lingo. They're not used to the processes and how to approach donors. So it really, I think, is helpful. Even if it's not rocket science, just lay it out for us. Tell yeah. us like we're five. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is exactly the conversation I have with new nonprofits. Someone comes to me and they say, I have my letter from the IRS. Like, now help me find some grants. And I'm like, well, actually, let's find some donors first. And so this is the process I walk them through. And what we do is we identify five to 10 nonprofits in the area that are similar to us. Um, they have similar services or they work with a similar population. So you're doing kind of a market study. Absolutely. Yeah. It's um, Some people call it competitor analysis, but that feels mm-hmm. kind of antithetical yeah. to being a nonprofit. We're kind of right. all on the same team. <laughs> We're working together here. Yeah, absolutely. So we, I will research those nonprofits and their supporters. So usually 
You can find this in an annual report or a newsletter. Sometimes you actually have to be kind of a mystery shopper and donate $10 to the nonprofit to actually get into their newsletter Mm -hmm. cycle. That's a good tip. Yeah, yeah. Be a mystery shopper. Um, And you're kind of paying them for information they're giving you. It's it's a good trade-off. Fair enough. And so I'll work through, yeah, I'll work through these lists, um, these donor lists, typically in an annual report, and I'll start making notes. And a lot of times the the lists are segmented by uh, giving levels. And so they'll list 10 people that gave more than 10,000 and 10 people that gave 5,000 to 10,000. They list them by range. And I usually will cut that somewhere that's helpful for me. Um, It depends on, you know, your nonprofit and what some of your needs are. And I will just start literally making a spreadsheet of prospects from these donor lists. And what's really important is you'll start seeing some names that are on multiple nonprofit lists. And those are going to be some of your best prospects because they have the means of supporting, you know, multiple nonprofits. And they're clearly interested in this topic, this mission or these services. So these are folks that are going to be some of your best first time prospects. Okay. Makes sense. Are you looking for similar types of nonprofits or just any that are in your local area? It really needs to be similar types of nonprofits because donors give to what they love and care about. Uh, There are going to be probably a few people in your community that give to everything. And so, you know, it might be worth looking at some, a nonprofit that's successful, that's a little different than you. Um, But, you know, there are donors that they really love animals and they're going to give to every animal cause in your community. But if you're working with kids, you know, maybe that's not their passion. So uh, it does help to find ones that are doing similar work. And it's really key that you don't think of yourself that you're stealing donors. It's not that at all. You know, uh, donors give because they get joy. So you actually are giving these donors an opportunity to give again and to feel great about it. Um, And it's likely they can support more than one nonprofit. Yeah. And the way I've told clients to look at it is they may not be able to do the front lines hands-on work, but they want to be a part of something bigger and know that they are contributing to building something and making a difference in the community. So you are giving them the opportunity to be a part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Now, once you have kind of this prospect list, the next part is really tedious. And so I really would encourage folks to go check out the checklist I've put together. But once you have a list of names, you know, that's not really enough to start getting donors. You've got to learn more about these donors. So you need to figure out things like where do they work and what's important to them and even how do you contact them? And so major nonprofit programs, you know, they've got some subscription services they can use. But if you don't have that, if you're a nonprofit startup, Um, You're going to have to do a lot of research online through several different sources. Um, When you're done, though, you're going to have dozens of prospects. You're going to have contact information. You're going to know that they're generous and they give to other nonprofits. And at that point, you've got to decide on your engagement strategy. Are you going to um, call these folks? Are you going to mail them? Are you going to try to network with them online? Um, And that's, you know, kind of the, the, the big piece of this puzzle is figuring out how you approach them. Right. And also maybe tapping into your board and volunteers and do they have connections to any of these donors? 
Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, you discover those connections through, you know, looking for connection in common or um, you have Facebook friends in common. So it's really important to kind of look under every um, Internet stone out there for information. Yes. Good tip. So your guide takes us step by step through this, right? You kind of give a framework for that process if someone wanted to DIY this. Absolutely. So I've got a checklist um, that folks can uh, download, get for free, that actually walks you through this process. It'll start you off by identifying the five to 10 nonprofits that are similar to yours, um, that may have donors that would be interested in your cause. It shows you kind of how to find their annual reports and their newsletters. And then from there, um, I actually teach you how to create this donor prospect spreadsheet and how to research donors. And so that will give you uh, just, you know, all the details you need on the tedious part of the process of, you know, judging prospects as, as if they're a good fit for you, if you're a good fit for them. So, yeah, I have lots of tips there um, on finding information on prospects, things that I've used over the years. There's really great sources online. You can just learn more about people, uh, their capacity to give. Um, I look often in our um, Secretary of State business filings website just to learn about what businesses people are associated with, because then you might find a donor that can not only give individually, but maybe can give a corporate gift as well. And also, you know, I look at um, our Property Valuation Administration, our PVA. You know, you can verify addresses through that tool, which is really great. But, you know, it does help to know the the net worth of folks. You, You might know communities and uh, in neighborhoods in, in your area where if someone lives there, they probably are a donor. So it really can be useful to learn that information about them. That sounds super practical. And it sounds a lot like the research that we might do when we dig into a foundation's form 990 to find out more about their grant donations. Only you're taking that a step further and applying that to donations in general and what donors have done in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And um it's, it's just critical when no one knows who you are as a nonprofit startup, you've got to be able to go to donors and know what they love and what their values are and to be able to have a convincing argument for why you belong in their portfolio. And then you give them that great experience of seeing what their donation does. So say I go through this process with your handout and I identified several donors <laughs> now what? How do I approach them? How do I even start the conversation when I'm not sure if they have even heard of us? What do I say to them to knock on the door, so to speak? Yeah, so I have had a lot of success with direct mail. And some of this is just kind of knowing your gifting and what you're, you know, what you're best at. But I did a lot of research on fundraising letters. And that's been the strategy I've used really successfully over the last five years or so is taking these prospects and creating a great letter for them. And some tips about a you know, good direct mail letter, typically they're longer than you would expect. I aim for three to four pages. That's really common in the research for direct mail is that it feels more like a letter personalized to them, something they might want to flip through. This is a little bit of a trick, but I like to hand address the envelopes because when you're sending direct mail, getting it open is the biggest challenge. But if you can find volunteers that can help you with this, if you can actually hand address the envelopes, folks open that more often. They think they're getting a personalized letter. 
Um, I like to include visuals throughout the letter, and I love to use the word you as much as possible. People like to read about themselves. So those are just a few tips that I've used in direct mail, you know, include um, some sort of reply device, um, a self-addressed stamped envelope they can send back to you with a check uh, and a card in it with some more information about them. That's funny. You know, you're going to get some interesting things mailed back to you when you send strangers mail. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's true. I had someone send me $3 uh, with nothing else in the envelope. So um, I think that was their way of saying, you know, thank you for your mail. I don't want it to cost you anything. So here's $3. <laughs> well, that was nice of them. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten cards back before um, with, you know, phone numbers, but no names. So there's a little trick to that. You can put a code somewhere on the reply device so you know who it's actually coming from. Oh, okay. That's a good tip. Yeah. So I, I really like the direct mail approach. I think it's even great in the times that we're in right now that are so challenging. People have more time than ever on their hands right now. Uh, with the pandemic. So getting a, a hand-addressed envelope might pique their interest. They might open it and want to learn more about you. I like that tip. And just that little personalized touch, it shows that you took some time with it. You see them as more than just a money machine. You actually took time to sign the letter or just add that little extra. Yeah. And then once you've done a direct mail campaign, you know, you can follow up with folks with phone calls. I think it's a little easier for me to make a phone call and say, I sent you a letter last week. I just kind of wanted to follow up and see if you had a chance to read it and tell you more about who we are. And I, I usually prepare a script for those kind of conversations, but I, I try not to read it, you know, word for word. And folks, you know, have different tolerance for getting phone calls. It's, um, you know, it's hard to reach some people on the phone now, honestly. Um, you, your your audience might be this way, but when I see a random number on my cell phone, I'm not inclined to answer it. <laughs> right. Do you ever recommend any kind of email or social media type of approach, or is that a little less desirable and more inclined to go to spam? Yeah. Email acquisition is very difficult for first-time donors. Now, I, you could build a um, sequence of emails and you could build some lead generation for your nonprofit where you might offer potential donors something in return for their email address. Uh, and there's some great resources on there out there about how to do that. But just trying to find people's email addresses on the internet is very difficult um, and not accurate. And then it, there's a low open rate. And uh, you're exactly right about, you know, our messages ending up in spam boxes uh, Facebook's pretty similar. You know, if you're trying to use Facebook Messenger to reach a donor and you're not friends with them, they're not going to see it. It's going to end up in spam. LinkedIn, I find to be a little more useful in this way. Uh, people are just more open to those connections. And But I have also found that a lot of, you know, high net worth donors are not on LinkedIn. They've never needed, you know, the shot in the arm for finding a job. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Their network is elsewhere. They have other connections. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So there's a few, you know, big time donors on, on LinkedIn. But yeah, so that's why I think direct mail and, and phone calls probably are a good first step. But, uh, you know, really um, the personal connection matters so much. And even beyond finding donors through these kind of techniques, you you have to ask people, you know, and that's something that I had to get over. You know, I was used to asking for money from grant makers and they have to give money away. And that felt like a really natural conversation. But then starting to ask people that I knew that didn't have to give me money, yes. um, I had to learn some skills there. And 
overall, I found that people are pretty polite about it. You know, if they're not interested, they may not respond or they may just say they're not interested. Uh, I've had very few friends or close connections in my life that have been upset about being asked for a donation. So you use sensitivity, you try to know in your life who is interested in that cause and who has the capacity to give before you start making those sort of um, appeals. Mm-hmm. And kind of read the signals of how hard to push and when to back off. Um, and I, I very often, you know, when I reach out to friends um, about different causes I'm, I'm working on, I often will offer to them, I'd love to support something that you're working on as well. So just to show that it's, you know, it's not a transaction, it's a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's a mutual. So I know this is probably difficult to really say, but just to kind of set an expectation so that someone doesn't run out tomorrow and send out a bunch of letters and expect to get a hundred percent response. What would be a reasonable expectation for trying this? And obviously there are a lot of factors. So if that's a terrible question, we can totally strike it. (laughs) No, it's a fair question. I, you know, the response rates are very low with direct mail. That should be something that you know going into this. And so as you're doing your research on donors, you really want to target people that have the capacity to make significant gifts to your nonprofit. So for example, last year I did a direct mail campaign and I set kind of a cut amount at $3,000 that I, I really needed to target people that could give that amount for a certain expense for a program that we were working on. So that, those were the kind of donors that I went after that, you know, had a track record of giving that kind of amount that I saw in other annual reports. But, you know, if you get someone to send you a large check, uh, they'll more than pay for your, that campaign and they're, they're entering your, your donor system. So now you are working on cultivating the next gift from them. You're developing a relationship. You're reporting to them what they've given. So I wouldn't expect anything higher than like a 5% response rate that you send out. You know, if you send out a hundred letters, you might get five replies. And, you know, that's just kind of the nature of the business. A lot of these things get thrown away. Think about your feelings when you go to the mailbox and there's stuff in there, you know, (laughs) that's not a pleasant experience for most people. So right. expect low response rates, but realize that, you know, you can get a transformational gift from that list. Yeah. And just to encourage people who are trying this, don't feel like, oh, I'm just going to give up if we don't get a big response. That's okay. That's normal to not get a lot of them back. Just keep at it. And really, it sounds like working the system and sticking with the process over time, it takes time to build that momentum, but it will work if you stick with it and do it correctly. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the first the first gift you get from somebody is usually not the largest gift you get from them, especially if you cultivate a good relationship. I think the research out there is that, you know, the seventh or eighth gift that you get from a donor is going to be the largest one they ever give you. Uh, so this is about creating a relationship, showing that you're doing something meaningful with investment they've made, and then helping them to experience joy, letting them see three months from now what they did. Right. Um, that's really what you're starting with this initiative. You're seeing who raises their hand of, hey, I'm interested in supporting this cause. This has been so much good stuff. As we wrap up, share something that's been meaningful to you along the way. There's a book that taught me fundraising. It's called Asking About Asking by Kent Stroman. And I read this before I did any fundraising with individuals. It was so eye-opening to me. 
I entered this process, I was kind of intimidated about it just because I was so used to writing grants that having a conversation about money felt so different to me. What Kent taught me though, is that um, people get joy when they give. So in fundraising, we're giving them this opportunity to, to make a difference. We're not bugging them for money, but we're letting them make um, a difference and feel great about it. In that book, um, Asking About Asking has just so much practical advice. He has suggestions on conversation topics and questions to use with prospects. And it broke down some barriers for me. It showed me that I could do this. And after I read Asking About Asking, I had a visit with a donor that led to a $15,000 gift which felt magical to me. I mean, I was used to getting large grants, but just to have this conversation with an individual and it lead to a, a really helpful gift for us was amazing. I still use this book today before I make a phone call. I'll go back and look at certain chapters in it. Um, it's really tremendous. Okay, that's great. I'll have to check that out. I haven't read that one. I've heard of it, but I've not read it. So that'll have to go on my reading list. Absolutely. Yeah. And you mentioned this checklist that people can download. Where can we find that? And I will definitely link to it in the show notes as well so they can click through. Yeah. So visit Funding Finders, my website. That's funding-finders.com. So you'll notice a lot of things on the website. I post there every Monday morning. I have a new post on grant writing or fundraising. Um, Some of them are really technical about skills and grant writing and fundraising, and others are more inspirational And sometimes I like to commiserate with my audience a little bit too. If you go to the website, look for the resources tab. And right at the top of that uh, resources tab, you're going to find the checklist, the finding first-time donors checklist, download it, print it, and you can get to work today on finding first-time donors. Okay. That is great. And how can people connect with you online if they want to reach out or have questions about the episode? I'm a little obsessed with LinkedIn, so <laughs> look for me there. Um, Jason Atkins, GPC. I welcome folks to connect with me. Uh, I really like meeting new people, learning from them, seeing what they're up to. So that'd be the best place. Okay. Sounds good. Well, thank you. This has been so much good advice. And one of the things I love about doing the podcast and having guests on is because I usually learn something too. And you did not disappoint. I definitely have taken some good notes here and have a lot to share with others too. So thank you. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Are you ready to learn more? I have a quiz called, Do You Have What It Takes to Be a Grant Writer? Hop over there and take that and see what your results say. Go to teresahuff.com slash quiz. If you love this show and you learn something new about being the type of grant writer the world needs so you can create a ripple in your community, please go leave me a review over on Apple Podcasts today. Thanks for listening. Now go change your world.